By way of reminder, we have children's church for those ages, nursery all the way up to second grade. If they would like to join our children's church, they can head out the door. Um, I think they're lined up back there, but I'm sure they are soon. Whoa. I didn't do it. It's going to be a very exciting mor morning if uh starts doing that again. I hope this isn't the solution that I have to preach from you all the way back here. Yeah, really, I could take the microphone. You could hear me, but no one else could, but the, the video couldn't hear me. Well, give me a moment. I'm trying to find the book of Jonah. We are going to be in the book of Jonah. And I'm slightly embarrassed that I'm having such a hard time finding the book of Jonah. About ready to hand my Bible over to Joe and help him help him help me find the book of Jonah. You've, you've already got it. There it is. Sorry about that. Uh, for those of you that are already standing, we thank you for your patience. We are going to be looking at the book of Jonah today. And what I want to do is we're going to be reading the second chapter. And no need to fear, it's not a particularly long chapter. But I want to get a running start at it. So we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 17, and then read through the second chapter of the book of Jonah. And we will stand for in honor of the reading of God's word. The word of God says this. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he called out, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me, I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. And you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Please be seated. Last week... We got the opportunity to, to really dive in and focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's such a fun time and a fun part of the year when we get to really look at Jesus' resurrection. We talk about it all the time. But to really dive into it and look at what transpired on, the, the, on that day. Not those days, but really that day. And I always say this, and I feel like I say it every Sunday after Easter, is that the reminder that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Because that's why we gather on Sunday. We come together as the church on Sunday morning because of the fact that Jesus rose on Sunday. 
And we talked last week, and we actually did this during the early service, so you may have been here, you may not, and that's totally fine. Um, we talked during the early service about the fact that on this day, the day of the resurrection, that Jesus, uh, that Jesus had risen from the grave, and the first people to find out that this was true was these women that had gone to prepare his body. And as they went in and they, they encountered this angel and he said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. And then he said this, Just like he told you. And we were talking about how the, the disciples really had a lot, to, a lot of reason to believe these women, and yet they did not. They had the Scripture. They could have looked into the Old Testament and looked at places like the Psalms and, and Isaiah and even really going all the way back to the book of Genesis and seeing how over and over and over again that God was pointing the people to this idea of a Davidic king who would suffer for his people, who would be struck down, and who would ultimately rise again. Not only did he have the scriptures, but he also had the testimony of the women who said, we saw him. We saw the empty tomb. We saw the angels. We saw the, the, the linen that he was wrapped up in. We saw all of it. And then we saw him. We saw him alive and we touched him and we talked to him. He's alive. And yet they didn't believe. But then one of the other things that I always felt like after the resurrection, after they saw him, after everything was said and done, had to be the hardest and the most embarrassing thing for the disciples was he told them. He had told them again and again and again, this is what's going to happen. He told them plainly, we're on our way to Jerusalem. When we get there, they are going to hand me over to the chief priests and to the scribes and I am going to be killed. But don't worry, I'll be back in three days. He told them that, and yet on this third day, when they are claiming, hey, he really did rise from the grave, they're like, I don't know. And I want to look at just one of those. As we look at Jonah, I also want to look at one of those times that Jesus said, I'm coming back. And that is found in Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to, you can stay seated for this, but I want you to just listen to what Jesus says in regard to his own resurrection. Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to be starting in verse 38, if you want to turn there. It says this, we're going to be going back and forth between these two passages. So Matthew 12, verse 38, it says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see, we want to see a sign from you. But he, being Jesus, said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, this is New American Standard, great fish, big fish, just about everywhere else, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, even though Jesus' disciples were never mentioned in this passage, I think it would be safe to make the assumption that they were there. 
that they heard these same words. In fact, we can assume that with pretty good certainty given the fact that this is Matthew who wrote this gospel and he was one of the apostles. And so he had heard this interaction, he had called it to mind, and he had put it in his gospel. In this passage, we see the scribes and the Pharisees are wanting Jesus to do a trick. To perform a miracle at their command, they wanted to see him do something. This was actually the, pretty much the exact same thing that Herod wanted at the crucifixion. When Pilate tried to pawn uh, Jesus' condemnation onto Herod, Herod said, yeah, bring him over here, I want to see him do a trick. I want to see him perform a miracle. They did so because they wanted some sort of definitive evidence that he was, in fact, some man of God, that he was a prophet or the Messiah or something. Though I have to be honest, I think if we could look into the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't want him to do a trick so that they would believe, as they wanted him to fail to do a trick so that they could condemn him. They weren't looking optimistically so that they might believe him, but on the contrary, they were looking in a condemning manner upon him, wanting to catch him in some sort of lie. Jesus, knowing their hearts and knowing full well that no matter what he did or how he did it, they would be able to uh, refute it, outreason themselves in their mind, or even try to attribute it to a demonic force instead of the power of God, refuses calling them wicked for even asking it. Undoubtedly because he knew that no matter what sign and wonder he might present, they still would not believe. And yet, instead of performing a trick for him, he does offer them a sign if they are willing to see it. And that is this sign of Jonah. And so today I want to look at the book of Jonah and I want to look specifically at this second chapter because it's in this second chapter we get a almost first person account of what is happening to Jonah while he is drowning and in the belly of the fish. We may ask the question, what is the sign of Jonah? Joseph, jo, or excuse me, uh, Jesus gives them the answer to that as he says it. He says, I will offer you just the sign of Jonah, which he says this in verse 40. For just as Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be, in, be for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is creating a parallel between what happened with Jonah and what is going to happen to him. So what happened to Jonah? Well, as we look at the text and as we kind of begin to dive into the book of Jonah, we need to know a little bit of a backstory. So if you remember those days in vacation Bible school or children's church or, or, or Sunday school, try to recall what happened with Jonah. For those of you that haven't, let me tell you. Jonah was a prophet of God who was given a command to go and to uh, preach to a city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a Gentile city. They were not Jewish people. They didn't believe in Yahweh. They worshipped other gods. And because of that, they had fallen into just sin and and, and were doing awful things and had terrible practices. And God finally tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell them that they are going to be judged if they don't repent, if they don't make a change. And Jonah says, no. No. 
He says, I've heard of Nineveh. I know who those people are. They're not even Jews. I don't want anything to do with them. God, no, I'm not doing it. And so he, if, if Nineveh is east, Jonah's going west. And because of that, God's judgment begins to fall on him. And he's out at sea and there's a giant storm and they, they're stuck out in the ocean. And the people of the, that are in the boat begin to say, what brought this on? And they come to the conclusion that Jonah is the reason that they are in the storm. And therefore, they throw him overboard into the deep in the midst of a stormy sea. Now, Jesus is not trying to create a parallel with this part of Jonah. Notice even in the text, both in what he says and what we've read today, that Jesus picks up right in the part where he is swallowed up by this giant fish, by this whale. So upon being thrown overboard, Jonah is believed to be dead. And I think that's an important aspect of what Jesus is saying. And let's think about that for just a moment. If you had a man and he was out at sea, we're thinking probably the Mediterranean, this could have been the Sea of Galilee, but I highly doubt it. It was the, probably the Mediterranean. And there was a storm, and they were in the midst of the storm, nowhere near land. Land was not even a visible thing. As you looked out onto the horizon, there was ocean from everywhere, everywhere you looked. And then you took someone and threw them out into that ocean. You would rightly assume that that man is a goner. Not only that, but since he was almost immediately swallowed up by this giant fish or this whale, there wouldn't have been a distinction between those two things in the Hebrew. He is gone. Imagine this for a moment. And I don't want you to really imagine this, but let me just say it. Um, you throw someone overboard. What would you expect them to do when you threw them overboard? Swim. You would expect them to splash around. You would expect them to try to do everything they could. You would expect to hear them trying to do everything they could to breathe and struggle and do everything to stay alive. But imagine this for just a moment. Jonah is thrown into the water and almost immediately, or at least in the very near future, this whale, this giant fish, as he goes into the deep, swallows him up. Do you see a man f swimming if he's inside the mouth of a whale? No. So not only did they throw him overboard, but now the sea not only is calm. The storm is gone almost immediately. They look out to see if Jonah's out there. Can they hear him swimming? Can they hear him struggling? Nothing. He is gone. Now, what would you assume about a man who you just threw overboard that now you can no longer hear him struggling? Huh? He's gone. He's, he's his demise. He's history. He is, he is fish food, which is kind of true, but not, not totally. Everyone on that boat would have been 100% confident that Jonah was not only dead, but they would never see him again. And yet, three days later, he shows up on a beach somewhere. He's not drowned. He's very much so alive. And very soon we'll begin to return to the work of God. So, someone who was believed to be dead is suddenly found to be alive and claiming that God had done something miraculous. Sure sounds a lot like the resurrection to me. 
The major difference being, and I think this is a major difference, maybe even one of the reasons why he said that someone greater than Jonah is with you, beyond just the fact that Jonah was a prophet and Jesus was God in the flesh. See, in Jonah's case, he was thought to be dead, but God delivered him. Jesus died. He was buried. And God still delivered him by raising him up from the dead. This became the very message that the apostles preached in Acts 2, verse 32, when it says, This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. See, again, we got to remember here for just a moment that this this is Jesus telling them what's going to happen. They'd say, do you know the story of Jonah? And they go, yeah, we know the story of Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Well, they threw him overboard and they thought he was dead. And and then he came back, God delivered him and he came back. He goes, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Only it's not going to be a fish and it's not going to be the ocean, but it's going to be real death and it's going to be the grave. And I'll still come back three days later. And I guarantee you the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't get this. And if they did even try to get it, they didn't like it. But the disciples, they should have heard that. And they should have, when when, when those women burst through the door screaming, when Mary Magdalene came in and said, I have seen the Lord. They should have been thinking Jonah. This comes with it, the question, what does it mean? And that's really why I want to look at this second chapter today because I believe that, that Jesus, he is, he is very good at, at, at communicating something very simple that makes us think about it very deeply because there is meaning to what he's saying. There is a reason why he gave them and referred to them as the sign of Jonah. The chapter, this second chapter is both a song and a prayer by Jonah that they say was made from the belly of the fish. And it gives us a tremendous amount of insight into who God is and what he is doing both in the days of Jonah as well as the days of Jesus. Chapter 2 of Jonah is considered to be a song of deliverance. And it begins with a description of Jonah's original distress. Notice as we go back to chapter 2 of Jonah how Jonah describes his situations. He has been cast into the deep. The heart of the waves are over him. He has been engulfed with breakers and billows passing over his head. He goes on to say that the water has completely encompassed him, has enveloped him. That he is getting wrapped up in the the seaweed and, and the weeds that are in the ocean. And he felt as though he was sinking down to the very base of the mountains. Now that is some amazing descriptions. See, Jonah is drowning. And he is watching as the ocean and the, and the surface of the ocean gets further and farther away as he goes deeper and deeper into the abyss. And he feels as though he is going deeper and deeper into the earth. And as he is doing that, there is some sort of seaweed or some sort of vegetation that has now begun to wrap around his head and his body. And he can feel as though his life is almost over. He is certain that death is imminent. He says that I've been, water has encompassed me to the point of death. And he knows that his time is gone. 
So how does Jonah respond to his current situation? Look again at verses 1 as well as verse 4. Verse 1 it says, or excuse me, verse 2 it says, I called out of my distress to the Lord. Verse 4 he says, So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. The statement that I will look again to to God's holy temple is not actually a a wishful statement. It's not like he's saying, hey, you know, things things look really bad. But I I just know that one day I'll get to go back to Jerusalem and I'll see the temple and all its good stuff. It's not really what he's saying. In fact, as we read the whole text, I think that when he's talking about God's holy temple, he's not really talking about the temple in Jerusalem at all. Instead, I think he's talking about where God really resides in the highest of heavens and in in that place. And he says that I will look again to God's holy temple. He's not saying that, man, one day soon I know I'm going to be back in Jerusalem. He's saying that I looked to God in my distress, in my situation. Now that I am at the very point, the very brink of death, I am turning to the Lord. And I am looking to Him and I am crying out to Him and I am putting all of my hope and all of my trust that He is the only one that can turn my situation around. He called to God in repentance and asked that God might deliver him from his current peril. Verse 7 says that while he was wasting away, while he was fainting away, mere moments from death, he repented and returned to God and prayed to the Most High. Look again at verse 7. He says, While I was fainting away, I remembered, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Repentance, we see, is a theme of the book of Jonah. But we'll get to that in a moment. See, first we get in this song is we get an understanding of, of Jonah's situation that he is drowning, that he is completely overwhelmed and engulfed, that he can feel as, as life begins to depart from his body and as the, the, the light of, of the, the sun that he might have been for just a moment able to see at the surface of the water gets darker and darker and darker. And in that moment, he could have just said, well, this is it. He could have panicked and struggled even harder to try to bring himself back up to the surface. But instead, what he chose to do is cry out to the Lord. Because he trusted that the Lord was there and that he trusted that even though he had wandered from God, he knew that God had not wandered from him. And so he cries out to the Lord. He repents of his sin. And then we see God respond to Jonah's repentance. Look again at verse 6. It says, I descended to the roots of the mountain, the earth with it and... Uh, the earth with its bars around me forever. But you, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. In the midst of Jonah's darkest hour, God delivers Jonah from the deep. And he does, throw, does so through this whale, this giant fish. This is one of the most interesting things about this prayer in the story of Jonah is it does not view the whale or the giant fish as part of Jonah's punishment, but rather it is part of his deliverance. In the ocean, Jonah would have most certainly died. 
he would have drowned in that water. But because the fish came and swallowed him up, there was air and there was protection and there was hope for a future day. The very fish that swallowed him all up also allowed him to survive three days and three nights and ultimately see him delivered to the beach safely. For it says that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him up onto dry land. The story of Jonah is a story of God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his deliverance. It's a story that should have reminded the people of Israel in Jesus' day that God is tremendously gracious to those who repent and return to him. So we have to remember who Jesus is telling this original, par- this original story to. He's telling it to the scribes and to the Pharisees, these people that were so quick to condemn and and label people as sinners that were outside of the, the people of God and outside of the family of God that did not belong and would never belong. And yet he points them back to a prophet who had sinned in extraordinary ways and was called to preach the gospel or preach a message of repentance to a city that has sinned in extraordinary ways. And all of it was pointing to the fact that God is a gracious and loving God. See, even what Jesus was about to do was an exercise and an example of God's gracious love towards us. Which brings us back to the question of what does the book of Jonah tell us about Jesus? Let's look again at verses 8 and 9. It says, Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And that which I have vowed I will pay. For salvation is from the Lord. One of the most powerful passages in this book is found in verse 8 when he says that those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Now, if you'll remember, several weeks ago, I talked about a word that I really like in the Old Testament. It showed up in the book of Ezekiel and it shows up all over the Old Testament. And it is this word that we have a very hard time defining because it can mean it means a lot, but it all falls under the same the same theme. It's one of those words that we don't really have a word for in English, and so we keep trying to do our best. And that word is the word faithfulness in this passage. For those who have regard, for those who cling to their vain idols will forsake their faithfulness. But that word we saw read other ways as love and grace and mercy. See, this is a word that I like to define as gracious love. And so if we kind of think about this for just a moment, Jonah realizes at the end of the psalm that that his own desires had been put ahead of God. He had put his will over God's will. He had put his desires over God's desires. He had put his comfort over God's mission. And for that reason, he had gone a different direction and he had clung to this idol of his heart, which was himself. And he had clung to that idol, and in doing so, he had sacrificed, he had given up God's gracious love that was extended not only towards him, but towards others. He had forsook God's graciousness, not because God was not freely offering it, but because he was clinging to something else. Guys, 
we can relate to this. Because we often cling to other things instead of God's grace. We cling to our own behaviors. We cling to our own self, self-described righteousness. We cling to our own work ethic. We cling to our, our children or our family or our jobs or our bank accounts or our boat or our, our uh, sports car. We cling to other things instead of God and we trust in other things instead of God. And what Jonah is telling us is that when we cling to these things, we miss out on the love and grace and mercy that God is freely giving to us we know today through our lord jesus christ but now in this moment at this time and i want you to kind of think about this when he had nothing left to hold on to and i'd say going deep into the ocean and the only thing that you have to hold on to is the seaweed that is further causing you to sink into the abyss that's when that if that's not rock bottom i don't know what is Finally, he calls out to the Lord. And he repents of this idolatry that he has created. He repents of his rebellion towards God. And God delivers him again. I really, truly believe that Jesus was cluing them in into something that certainly the Pharisees and the scribes would miss. See, in the book of Jonah... Jonah repents. And because he repents, even in the last moment of his life, he repents and receives mercy from God and God lifts him up out of that water. Later in the book, Jonah preaches to Nineveh and the Ninevites hear this message of the Lord and because of their fear for God and their belief in what he says, Nineveh repents. The whole city From the king down to the poorest man, they believe the words of Jonah, they repent, they respond in sackcloth and ashes, and they begin to change their ways. And what do you think happens? God shows up and shows mercy on them. They were slated for destruction, and yet God relents. Even at the end of the story, when Jonah is mad because he did show repentance, God comes back to this notion and this idea that he is a God who hears the prayers of those who repent and responds with loving grace and mercy and compassion. The very, I want you to re- listen, this is the very last verse in the book of Jonah. Jonah 4.11, it says this, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there is more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. See, again, the whole message of Jonah is that God loves you and that if you will turn from your sin and cry out to the Lord, that he will have compassion on you and that he will deliver you so that you might be restored to a right relationship with him. Jesus is about to do something very similar to what Jonah did. Jesus said that like Jonah, he would go down into the earth for three days. Then like Jonah, he would return in order to proclaim God's grace and mercy to people who desperately need to hear it. 
As I mentioned at the beginning, Nineveh was a Gentile nation. This could even be a clue to the fact that Jesus, the good news of the gospel, was not just for Israel, but was for all the nations, that God sent Jonah to a foreign nation, to a Gentile nation, and in the same way, God would ultimately send Paul and Barnabas and Peter and the rest of the apostles to foreign nations, to the whole world, so that they might hear the good news of the gospel and believe and be saved. For as we even read in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I want to draw you back into one major difference between Jonah and Jesus. It says that when Jonah was about to drown, that he called to the Lord and he delivered him. But that's not really what happened with Jesus. Unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't go down into the abyss, but he went up onto a cross. Like Jonah, he cried out as well. But I want you to hear the words that Jesus cried out when he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Unlike Jonah, Jesus did die. Because the grace and the mercy that Jesus was making a way for was not for himself. See, Jesus took the punishment. He took the wrath of God. He took it all, not so that he might receive grace and mercy, but so that we might receive grace and mercy. Jesus did die, but he rose from the grave. And because of that, we now today have the message of God's grace. And that is a message that is given freely to you. And that is a message given freely to all who live under the sun. If you are with us today, and you're still trying to figure out what this Jesus stuff is all about, I present to you the sign of Jonah. That Jesus would suffer and die that he would be buried for three days and that he would rise from the grave three days later, not so that he could receive grace and love and mercy, but so that you could receive grace and love and mercy. And that is found only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what we invite you to today. If you are in Christ, then we have a message to proclaim. We have a sign to let people know about. For they can be free from their sin and from the wrath of God through the resurrected Jesus. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for the sign of Jonah. Lord, we are reminded yet again that you are a God who was pointing us to the crucifixion and to the resurrection over and over and over again. 
And God, as we think about what we read in Jonah and we think about the grace and the love and the mercy that you showed to Jonah, we are reminded that that same grace and love and mercy has been extended to us through Christ. Father, it is my hope and prayer that if there is anyone here today that is still still waiting, still wondering if this Jesus thing is for real, Lord, I pray that today is the day that your spirit would speak to them in such a way that they would surrender their lives to you. God, that they would ask the question, what is preventing me from giving my life to Christ? And God, that they would do so. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would take this message seriously. For we have a message of your loving grace and compassion. And God, there is a world out there that is drowning, that is giving up hope, that can't see the light of day and feels as though everything is wrapping around them and entangling them and that there is no hope. Lord, I hope and pray that we will be the people who go to them, not waiting for them to come to us, that we go to them and offer them this good news so that they, like Jonah, might be delivered from the depths and placed back in the service of God. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.